IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We're the podcast where we talk about IntelliKey, meaning reaching our soul's purpose, elevating our human potential, working for the global good. And my co-host is Kirsten Gouldie. Kirsten, welcome back to another great episode. So excited to be here and talk about our, as we're saying now, our country's soul. You know, we're we're barreling into our season two of our podcast, but we're certainly well into the first quarter of 2021, this kind of feeling of new hope and new potential. So many of your clients you're consulting with and coaching in their careers and their life are talking about a higher purpose. So I think it's in that light that our episode today, Kirsten, we're going to be talking about people that do have this mission and vision to change the world in any field or capacity or area of life. And this community and organizational development that it takes to have in in a nonprofit kind of world. So even if you have a career, but you want to start a nonprofit or you want to contribute or you want to be a part of that, there's a lot more to it than maybe on the surface. And we're just so glad to have as our guest, Valerie Leonard from Chicago with a company called Nonprofit Utopia. Valerie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great yeah. to meet you, Mark and Kristen. Yeah, this idea of emerging nonprofit leaders, you know, we really need to provide the structure and environment for those missions to really thrive. Mm-hmm. And I guess, Valerie, I wanted to start with somebody who's got this change the world mindset, but may not understand what does it take to really organize or run the nonprofit mm-hmm. vision. How do you work with these organizations to help prop up that structure? Um, I do it through coaching and consulting as well as through an online community. And for those folks who are just contemplating starting a nonprofit, I have a coaching program to get people through 90 days and have a, a new organization. And I really like working with folks from scratch because it's so hard to train people who have been doing the wrong things for, for the right reasons. So I'd like to train people from from scratch. So what I do through those um, coaching is I help them to develop their organizations. I also let them know up front what the requirements for the government will be and also try to make sure that I can instill in them what I perceive to be strong values that were instilled in me from my parents as well as other leaders. I have a strong focus. I say that I'm trying to recruit and train the next generation of ethical nonprofit leaders because we have all seen stories where people have really mismanaged nonprofits and nonprofits get a really bad rap. And even when corporate America does things wrong, people then put a tighter grip on nonprofits. So that's one way. And, you know, and even with our online community, I'm constantly sharing with people resources that will help them to strengthen their organizations on a number of different fronts. That's so good. And I I loved your underscore there of the ethically run. We talked to a lot of companies that are trying to build this conscious leadership. It's a more socially responsible. And I love that addition of the word ethical there. 
So, you know, with these people starting these uh, nonprofit organizations, obviously they have some specific cause or mission, but they really, and even if they feel like they know something about it and they have, you know, strong emotions about it, that doesn't necessarily mean they have the capabilities or the wherewithal to organize around that. How, how do you help them think through those needs? Yeah, one of the first things that we do in our coaching, as well as the consulting, is do an organizational assessment, as well as do an individual leadership assessment. So we're helping folks to be really in tune with their own personal skills and and the way they lead and help them to look at some of the strengths and weaknesses within the context of the strengths and weaknesses of the organization. And once we get an assessment of both where the leader is and his or her style, and then the strengths and weaknesses of the organization, we come up with a plan where they can strengthen their own leadership within the context of strengthening the organization. So when we talk about strengthening the organization, we're looking at ways they can strengthen their boards. And you you know everything rests on leadership and your boards are your leadership. So strengthening the board, strengthening their financial capacity, program development, about seven different sectors. John, I think you need to be in the corporate world doing that. (laughs) Well, Kirsten, I I couldn't help but think you must be saying, wow, companies could really... (laughs) you're, You're applying these corporate development principles to nonprofits. And again, I I think about somebody who says, yeah, but I really want to X, build houses. I really want to provide shelter for, I really want to raise money to, you know, save the whales, whatever it is, but they really need to think of this more corporately. And I'm not, I'm using that as a positive corporate structure, corporate governance sort of word. Right. I I think in the past, you know, I grew up in, in the sixties and seventies, yeah, in the past, nonprofits were basically looked at as, I guess, a, maybe not, I won't say a step above church, but very similar to church ministries. You know, you were doing things out of the goodness of your heart. Now it's it's not so much that way. Um, I, I talked to some younger people. They lamented the fact that, you know, working in a nonprofit feels so much like corporate. But, you know, some of those nonprofits are larger organizations. But I think in the past, we have gotten so caught up in trying to save the world that we don't necessarily think about the infrastructure. And if we take a step back and actually develop the infrastructure, we can actually go further. You know, it may take a little bit longer in the short run, but over the long term, you know, studies have shown that even if you engage in one activity of what we call capacity building, and that is activities that will strengthen your organization. You know, things like strategic planning, marketing, communications, fundraising, developing personnel. If you just engage in one of them, and it doesn't even have to be fundraising, you can increase your bottom line by at least 10%. So you really, really need to put the infrastructure in place so that you can go go far. And what's this saying? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with many. But the same is true for developing your infrastructure. If you want to stay around for the long haul, you got to make sure you have systems in place so that as people come and go, you have a knowledge, institutional knowledge that you can retain so that the organization can continue. Mm, So important. 
You know, it, it's fascinating. You brought went back to the 60s and 70s and you likened it similar to the church organization, which is right. really what promoted a lot of those movements in the right. 60s and 70s, right? They were what fueled the social conscious change. And, and when I think about that, I was recently watching something with Al Sharpton. And he was speaking to the amount of work that actually goes into organizing marches, what really has to happen. And there is a huge, and I was just, you know, as you were talking about the infrastructure, the communication, the marketing, you know, what it really took to organize all of those women to march when Trump got elected, right? right? There, there was an incredible amount of administrative work that right. went into pulling that off. So when you really think of if you're going to change the world, you really need the ability to lead, collaborate, have vision, understand the economics, what it's going to cost to even do it, your time value of money, what's it going to take out of you, which is what I think you're really speaking to, right? Right, right. And like I said, I think we're so busy trying to do the immediate, you know, save the world that we don't often think about that. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so interesting, Valerie, as you've mentioned this capacity development, mm -hmm. you know, that it's kind of counterintuitive that a nonprofit leader would say, yeah, but I don't want to get my hands dirty in some of this <laughs> kind of financial corporate sounding stuff I'm, when I'm trying to, you know, do my uh, philanthropic or my charitable work. I, I do remember talking to a nonprofit that, you know, was a nine figure it's like, wait, you have hundreds of millions of dollars. And yet, you know, I have a sense that how much of that is being wasted or how much more you could be doing if you were doing a better job of, say, personnel development, just as one yeah. example. Yeah, that's true. You know, if you don't invest in your personnel, you will definitely pay for it on the back end. You know, you, you'll lose competitive, your competitive advantage, you know, compared to your peers. So it it's really, really important to make sure that you train your employees and make sure that they're up on the latest skills so that they can help move the organization forward. I, I think with some of our emerging organizations, we don't necessarily take that to heart. You know, maybe we don't know about it. And when I say we, again, I'm not a nonprofit. I just have a tendency to use the word we when I'm speaking. But, you know, looking at the budgets and how much they spend on things like professional development. You know, um, your larger institutions may spend up to 10% of their money on professional development, whereas your emerging groups, you know, which actually make up the majority of all nonprofits, you know, they don't necessarily budget for professional development. And when they do, it might be about $1,200 a year and that might be okay for one or two employees, but you know, if you've got 10 employees and you're devoting 1200, that's not gonna go very far. And, and I guess Valerie, you know, if somebody's listening to this podcast and they go, boy, this really sounds like, you know, somebody who knows what they're talking about. You know, you definitely have the experience and know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I guess it also comes from you're used to working in these larger kind of capacity building, even corporate, you know, a national grocery chain, large uh, regional health system, you know, a hundred million dollar budget for construction and renovation and capital equipment purchases, but even a $6 billion 
general obligation bond program in New York City. So, I mean, you know, this is not Valerie really knows how to start a little charity if you want to do a 5K run to raise money. <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about if you're really serious about changing the world. And I guess that that's when I'm curious, Valerie, when you talk to some of your clients, where do you find is the pivot point, the transition where they say, no, that we mean we're big thinkers and we're big doers. Yeah, that's a developmental process. But before I answer that question, as you were describing me and my experience, yeah, I, I've always thought to myself as I was growing up that I would want to get as much experience as I could from the larger society and bring it back to my community. I don't know if you're familiar with North Lawndale in, in Chicago, West Side low-income African-American community. I always wanted to get as much experience as I could and bring it back, you know, kind of like a developing country. And I don't mean that in a patriarchal mm -hmm. way, but, you know, that's all that's been my makeup. So for me, um, the inflection point when I speak with, you know, the grassroots leadership is I have to share with them how important it is to develop their systems. You know, I've even had clients to tell me, you know what, I don't want to spend my time developing a case for support. I just want to raise money. But I'm like, you can't really raise money in a, sustain, in a sustainable way unless you create the infrastructure, you know, the system for fundraising. You know, otherwise you're going to be reinventing the wheel over and over. And then when I explain to people how important it is and how that translates into money for them, you know, this theory that philanthropists use, then they have an aha moment. So it may take a few meetings, but once they can understand how it's going to impact their bottom line and how they can actually serve more people, then they start to adapt the new techniques. And Kirsten, it's reminded me of one of our previous guests, Pastor CJ, who, who had that same kind of, I want to go back to the neighborhood I grew up in. I don't want to just send a check to the school to say, you know, buy some supplies. I want to literally go back, build some houses, put my company there, that sort of thing. Right. And it sounds like that grassroots community involvement is very important to you too. Yeah, it is. Um, I got it from my parents. <laughs> and my parents mm -hmm. were very actively engaged in church, in the community, school. You know, they're both educators in Chicago public schools. So it, it was tough, but, but that's where, where I got my, my value system. That's good. Mm. So, you know, and I, this idea of speaking to the value system, because here for Mark and I, we're both genuinely passionate about what we term conscious leadership. Mm. You can insert various ideas because it's individualized, but really it comes from the idea that there are values inserted into how we operate, right? In simply reaching our fullest potential, whether it be human potential, company potential, nonprofit potential, a country's potential, there has to be an underlying value system. And it, did you always have this inside of yourself that you knew, that you knew for you? Because it sounds like you're a contributor to the greater society. You see yourself as somebody who, contributes to ensure that people thrive and reach their potential. Yeah. When did that start for you? Oh, I would say at a young age, I, and I can't say I, I always wanted to do this. Um, I've had parents who, I guess, 
we were drug babies. They drug us to church, so to speak. And, and then they, <laughs> drug babies. <laughs> yeah, they, they drug us to church. I and can't I, wait to tell my mom <laughs> that I was a drug baby because now I have the word I've been looking for. <laughs> Thank you, Valerie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I got that from another friend whose mom drug him to church. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, so I. I got that early on. You know, we didn't have a choice as to whether or not we would go to church. We didn't have a choice as to whether or not we would go to Sunday school or whether or not we would volunteer. You know, that was something that was expected. And after so many years, you, you start to adopt those same uh, values for yourself. So I don't know. I, I just grew up in it and it was uh, expected. I remember my dad always saying things like, oh, you know, the problem with North Lawndale is, you know, our most talented people, once they get their degrees, they take their degrees, they go to another community, and then all we have left is people who are uneducated. He says, it's up to us to stay here and share what we have and build a community from within. You don't run away, you, you build. And that was something he would say, I would be 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, I can remember him saying that. I was about 10 years old. I was like, yeah, 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 I want to get out of this neighborhood. <laughs> but, but he said it over and over and over again where I started to um, to believe that and, uh, and live it. So mm -hmm. I, I've done a lot of work in the community professionally as well as, you know, just organizing as a community resident because yes. I really do believe it. And then you've had some chance to do this in an academic setting as an adjunct professor, and you've taught at a couple of business schools and so forth. How do you find that generation? Now we're talking about people who really want to study this, you know, and think about social innovation. What's the mindset that you see coming up in that yeah. next uh, phase? I am very pleasantly surprised. They're, they're so much different from us. And when I say us, I'm talking about people who were at Kellogg when I was there. I was there from 87 to 89. This was the time when you had all these, you know, where Wall Street, all the leverage buyouts and whatnot, and greed was good and all that stuff. And I can remember when I was in business school, we laughed to scorn the folks who studied nonprofit management. We all wanted to be investment bankers or six-figure consultants. And we're like, why are these nonprofit people here? Blah, blah, blah. And, and here it is. I'm doing nonprofit. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I started off. And here you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we laughed at the school. The Wolf of Lawndale. <laughs> right, the Wolf of Lawndale. <laughs> That's a good one. So, so <laughs> yeah, so um, I teach students now, and their mindset is totally different. You know, even the, the business students, many of them, they want to do something good. Even if they make money, they want to do good while doing good for them. I just want to say thank you for supporting what I always say, because I am so energized by our youth. I feel like, okay, we may really have a chance to save our world, <laughs> right? Because they are different than any other generation that's gone yeah. before. Yeah, very, very smart. They have very, very innovative ways of solving problems. You know, I, I think, you know, I'm on the tail end of the baby boom, and, and I think we might be a little bit more traditional, a little bit more entrenched in our way of thinking. But, you know, they don't have the resources that we had growing up. And, you know, they have to be 
more creative. And I, I think we've done such a horrible job of managing what we have. And they don't want to be, they don't want to be like us, which is a good thing. A good mm -hmm. thing. I, mm -hmm. I see that they're less greedy and more more concerned about the environment, even if they are finance majors, you know? Yeah, yeah. But you've also, I think, now putting a couple of these ideas together, but I mean, you've said that there is a way to build their capacity. And yet, you know, we're not trying to transfer our values, but we do have some experience and we do have some knowledge about, you know, either grant writing or filling out the right tax forms. I mean, mm -hmm. keep, keeping you out of trouble also helps promote your cause. Right. Guess, you know, is, is there a way that that's bridging the generations a little bit? Yeah, I, you know, whenever I talk with them about nonprofits, I always bring the conversation around compliance because about a third of our organizations have actually lost tax exempt status just for not filing the right form. So I make sure that the compliance conversation is embedded in all of the conversations because that's usually the last thing people talk about and they don't even think about it until they're in trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, like I said, they're so busy running their nonprofit, saving the world, but they're not really paying attention to the, the minor things, which can really be very major. Yeah. And to say, if you, if you take your eye off the ball on that, your vision and cause and mission of what you're trying to accomplish can totally get derailed. Right, right. And I'm taking folks through a, a five-month process where they're actually, you know, taking stock of their leadership and making sure, too, that they understand all the basic processes that every effective nonprofit leader has to have in place. So there are about 13 different workshops. And then mm -hmm. after that, there'll be some coaching. And I would hope that after that five-month period, we'll see some real transformation. It's fantastic. Well, yeah, that's Al, very invigorating. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, we, we get a lot of inspiration from this podcast and all the great guests, but we're not only getting inspiration from you, Valerie, you know, to take on the cause, to change the world, but also in order to do that, there are the forms to fill out and there's the governance to provide. And if you really want to make a sustainable long-term impact, now, if you just have, you know, one week fundraising, okay, that's fine and admirable, but that's not building, you know, towards a mission. Right. And you've really helped us elevate it to a, a totally new level and really appreciate that. Thank you. You made, you made my day. Well, you've made ours, I can tell you that. Well, yeah. Kirsten, I think, you know, as I think about, uh, we go back to uh, what the new generation of leaders is thinking about is how to make a global impact. You know, why am I doing what I'm doing? And even working in their company or pursuing a passion project on the side, doing the nonprofit on the weekends or working in their church or some other ministry, then this rounds out their life. And I think we've been hearing that more and more. It's not just life balance. You know, it's like, I'm going to put it all on the line. I'm both. I want my career mm -hmm. and I want to change the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they don't, they're not exclusive. No, right. I For I'm not me choosing. to have a thriving career, <laughs> I have to have an environment that enables me to thrive, mm -hmm. right? The two, because it doesn't anymore. The parallels too contrasting. To Valerie's point, the resources simply aren't there for them. So they're having to. It's really doggy dog for these young kids. They have got to figure out something. They don't. 
I mean, they don't get college like the veterans got after World War II. They don't get housing that ensures everybody gets it, right? There's so many structures that were in place to thrive and they're not there anymore. Well, Valerie, I know our listeners are going to want to follow up and read more and connect with you. Where can they learn more about Nonprofit Utopia? You can go to my webpage, nonprofitutopia.com. And we also have a community webpage. You can go to nonprofitutopia.mn.co to join our community. And if you need to contact me directly, you can contact me at Valerie F. Leonard at nonprofitutopia.com. Either way. Well, fantastic. Well, I know our listeners are going to want to pursue some of that information and learn more about what you have. Can't thank you enough for sharing. What a great conversation. Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks for having me. Well, listeners, as you can see, what Kirsten and I and Valerie have been talking about is a higher vision. It's not enough just to have sort of an idea that I want to make an impact on the world. But if you're really serious about creating a nonprofit organization and doing the things that it takes to build the capability and the capacity, this is what I've heard most from Valerie, that there is a way of building this infrastructure that you can make an even bigger impact. And that's what we want to do. Come back again for our next episode. We're just going to continue to talk to great leaders and great people like Valerie, who are going to share with us how you can not only build your career and meet your objectives and goals, but also how you can work towards a soul's purpose, your higher human potential, and make a global impact. We've talked about conscious leadership and socially responsible, and Valerie's really added a nice word today, ethical leadership. And I think we're all on board with that. Kirsten, yeah. people want to continue the conversation. You're hosting another call. Tell us a little bit about that. I have a bi-weekly conversation. It's called Soul Tea and Conversations. And they are deepening conversations for people to journey in to get to know themselves better in a peer-to-peer situation, creating community. It is a free platform. People can pop in whenever they want to. You can find it on my website, pureintellikey.com. So listeners, I encourage you to sign up for a Soul Tea conversation with Kirsten. So come back again for our next episode of IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson for Kirsten Gouldy, and we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. On behalf of your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.